Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everybody and welcome into another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, Dan Canobio, and the boxing world is a buzz. The November to remember delivered in more ways than one. And now we set our sights to December, which also has a lot of good fights. And I just took a look at it. This is episode 138 of Inside Boxing Live. Time is flying by. Uh, 2021 is over somehow and now we look forward uh, to the final month of the boxing calendar and which should be a very fun 2022 as well great momentum heading in the into the new year i was in attendance last weekend at madison square garden uh where we saw the upset of the year with george cambosos beating uh tiofimo lopez and over on showtime you had a fight of the year candidate between uh stephen fulton who got the nod over brendan Figueroa awesome fights all weekend on the show today we have the promoter of George Cambosos you want to know what he's going to do next well you're going to hear it right here from Lou DiBella Hall of Fame promoter uh, Lou DiBella you don't want to miss that interview a few f-bombs were dropped I've tried to put me in my place a few times love talking to Lou one of my uh, favorite people in boxing also joining the show uh, Corey Erdman he had a great great column this past week on boxing scene about the personal life of Tifimo Lopez and what all boxers, not all, but some boxers uh, go through in their personal life. Uh, so a great conversation with Corey on Tifimo on the lightweight division and these fights come upcoming this weekend. We have uh, the lightweight division. We're seeing three of the top fighters in the lightweight division fight in an eight day span. And that's a great thing because they're going to stay in the, in the consciousness uh, of fight fans and Devin Haney and Jojo Diaz on Saturday night uh, should be a good one. It is for uh, Devin Haney's, uh, WBC championship because he is the WBC champion any way you want to cut it. This fight's going to be great. I think this is going to be a, uh, a real test for, for, for Devin Haney. If you look at Haney and we talked about this with Corey, a fighter that we don't really know, like what is his strengths? What are Devin Haney's strengths? If you take a look at it, Lance 34.7% of his total punches. That's second only to Lomachenko. His six jabs landed per round. Also second only to, uh, to Lomachenko. Haney only gets hit with 18% uh, of his opponent's punches. That's number one at 135. So he's a w- well-rounded fighter, but maybe, you know, not fighting the, the best opposition, but now it's Linares, now it's Diaz. And then next year, if he gets his wishes, he'll be fighting uh, one of the big guys at, at 135. You take a look at Jojo Diaz and we, the narrative for this fight is that Jojo's going to bring it uh, to Devin Haney like never before. He's a dog, Jojo Diaz. Yes, he is, because his 15 power punches landed uh, per round is number one at 135, like 80% of his landed shots or power shots. Doesn't really use a jab, and it's all about the power. So the winner of this fight is in line to fight Camposos next year for an undisputed fight. I know it's very disputed at 135. Uh, so you know Haney wants to win this one. He's going to bang a drum uh, for a fight with uh, George Camposos, of course. On Saturday night, or Sunday night, excuse me, Showtime pay-per-view, Javonta Davis, one of the biggest stars in boxing, gets back into the ring when he takes on 
Isaac Cruz. Love anytime Javante Davis steps into the ring. Obviously, it was supposed to be against Roly Romero. That fight's off. In steps Isaac Cruz, who is Isaac Cruz, a guy that lands bombs. 15 of his 17 landed shots are power shots. You know, 80%, uh, 86% of their combined punches in this fight are going to be power shots. I mean, that just shows you right there. We're going to get a slugfest. And as we know about Davis, he likes to walk the tightrope. Only throws 33 punches around. And it's one of my favorite styles. It's Canelo style. We heard uh, Davis bring up Canelo Alvarez in a tweet, and he got a lot of flack for it, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm just like Canelo. I think he was talking about their fighting style because it's this low-volume, high-accuracy, game-changing power late that not a lot of fighters can do. I mean, you can't throw 30 punches around and expect to win, only if you have an, that eraser. Canelo has that eraser. Javante uh, Davis has that eraser. Yes, Canelo is fighting way better opposition uh, than Javante Davis, but I mean, the styles are there. The styles are the same. And Javante Davis gives up rounds simply with inactivity, but he is that's how much he trusts his power because he lands one big shot. The entire complexion of the fight has changed. And I think that's going to be the case against Isaac Cruz. Cruz is going to come out swinging. Uh, he might push the tempo early. I like to see that. I like to see Javante Davis pushed. But ultimately, I think this fight ends in a massive TKO. I think Haney wins a close decision, and then we bang a drum for, for next year. Is it going to be Davis getting the shot at Camposos? Is it going to be Haney? Uh, is Camposos going to have himself a voluntary defense in Australia like I think uh, he deserves? It's an awesome time. Sebastian Fundor is also back. But let's get to Ludabella right here on Inside Boxing Live. All right, it is time to bring in the man of the hour, Lou DeBella, president of DeBella Entertainment, Hall of Fame promoter and the promoter of record for the new unified lightweight champion of the world, George Camposos. Lou, happy to have you here. How you doing? How you feeling? What's the word? Been working hard. I mean, it was a good weekend. It was a great performance by George. I, I couldn't, you know, I, I, it was amazing what he did in that ring. He told everybody what he was going to do. He said, I'm the hungrier fighter. I'm going to take his belts. I'm going to bring it to him. And he did. And he outboxed him. He showed a great chin. He showed, he showed defense. He showed a tremendous offense. So the left hand was landing constantly. Um, I thought it was a brilliant performance. And it's, I, I, I told you, Danny, when we talked about the fight a while ago, that the 10 to one odds were insane. You know, I, I, yeah, George should have got into that fight an underdog, but about three to one kind of thing, you know, uh, but to go off a 10 to one underdog when you're as good as Cambosis and as hungry as Cambosis, um, there was a great opportunity for guys that, that gamble to, to make money over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, some books had a 13 to one, which is, which is crazy. Um, yeah, you're right. He did a lot of things right. Someone asked me yesterday, I was on a show and they were like, what did Cambosos do right? Like technically I was like, honestly, it was just pretty, it was pretty sound and pretty <laughs> simple. What he did was a one-two and he moved. So every time that Tifima would come forward, he would hit him with a jab and then he would follow up with a right hand and then he would move or left. And when you have a guy that's stalking you like Tifimo, I mean, that's the perfect game plan. And also it helps to have a legendary chin and be in great shape. Well, first of all, Cambosis' chin is obviously great. Like he took some bombs. Huge shots. And in that, in that one round where he got rocked, Mm -hmm. He took bombs and, and he showed a, a tremendous, you know, punch resistance. Um, the movement impressed the hell out of me 
because you got to remember, he trained for a full year for this fight. Mm-hmm. And he was separated for a long time from Javier, his primary trainer, and was in Australia um, with his with, with being, being trained by an Aussie trainer who's good tra- obviously a good trainer, obviously a good trainer because he spent most of the time well, with George before George got here a couple of, you know, a week or so before the fight. Um, it wasn't optimal training. It was a full year. A lot of it was with limited to Australian sparring because people couldn't get in and out. Of yeah, I heard, he only, I heard he only had one sparring partner or one primary one was Lenny Z. Yeah, Lenny Z. And, and, and you know, Lenny Z is a pro, man, with gigantic cojones. Yeah. But, you know, you, you probably would have a, a bigger breadth of sparring. You would have if he was here mm-hmm. training. Um, but he had a game plan, man, and he executed it. And yeah. the ring IQ he showed, the movement, the, he frustrated the hell out of uh, out of uh, uh, he frustrated the hell out of Tiafimo. Can you share with us um, how he was brought to your attention a few years ago? Yeah, there was a guy in Australia that had been calling me about him, a guy named Brendan Bork, saying that this kid is a tremendous. You know, I think this kid's got great personality, a great look. I think he can fight. And then he, you know, he locked up with Peter Codd. Uh, as his manager and Peter called me and frankly, like there wasn't a lot of promoters that were chasing this, this kid, even though, by the way, he's, you know, he's charismatic. You see, oh, yeah. he's a great, he's a great one of great interviews in boxing. He's got, he, he, a guy can nail a one liner. He's got like, like GQ kind of looks, you know, that the whole tatted up thing. He's got this David Beckham vibe going, <laughs> He um, does. you know, and, and, and uh, and I saw all of that. And I was like, you know what, man, I'll take a ch- chance on this Greek kid from Australia. Because like I saw all the, like he had the whole package, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and honestly, the kid from the beginning, like the self-confidence you saw before this fight, that's who this kid has been since I signed him. And I just yeah. signed an Italian kid, by the way, with, uh, with Joe DeGuardia named Michael Magnesi. And I see a lot of the same sort of self-assurance and 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 potential in, in Magnesi, but that's an aside. But George and his dad, Jimmy, um, from the second I signed George, they said, you know, but Jimmy was saying, my kid is special. He's going to be undisputed champion someday. Wow. And George was like, George, George believed in himself from the beginning. He willed this. And, he, and when he got this opportunity, he, he was steadfast, man. He, he never acted like he was a long shot. He never acted like he was, uh, a, a no hoper. He he acted like he was the hungry fighter. He was the more focused fighter. He was the better fighter, and he was going to win. Yep, and that's and he all. Did. And he did. Yeah, and it was a did. great great performance. Unbelievable performance. What a night at, at MSG. Go down the, in the in the history books of the Hulu Theater and the uh, some great fights there. It was an awesome night. And now, obviously, everything turns to. What's next? Certainly, you, can, you can make the argument that that was the greatest fight ever at the Hulu Theater. Well, I was asking my dad. I was, I was, he said, um, who did he bring up? Um, obviously, uh, Gotti versus uh, Rodriguez. Uh, yeah, and you got Hamed versus Kelly. The Gotti, Kelly, Kelly who? Versus Hamed. What was that in the big room? No, no, that was the big room. Gotcha. Hamed Kelly was the big room. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I agree with your dad, actually. I was thinking about what the other, like the, the greatest fights or the greatest show Probably the Gaddy Rodriguez fight. You got to remember there was another great fight with it. The the, the co-main event yeah. was was a great fight between Junior Jones and Orlando Canizales. Yeah, that you happen um, to make. Right. 
uh, those, those were the, H, the good old HBO days. Yes. Um, that, that was a great card. But in terms mm -hmm. of significance, all the belts on the line and the fight itself, I, I think I think that Cambosis Lopez is the greatest fight ever to take place at the Hulu Theater. Yeah, I mean, you, you can make you can certainly make a case for that. But let's talk about what could be next. This is why we have you here. Obviously, George is doing the media rounds, and I love that. I love when a fighter sticks around the week after. I think it's just as important as the lead up. And he said some things so far, and obviously we know all the names out there, but he said two things that really stuck out to me. He wants his next fight to be in Australia, and he's also said that Devin Haney is the front runner. What are your thoughts on that? And has there been any talks at all with anyone yet? I know it's early. Um, there have been some conversations, but not, not anything in, in the specific mm -hmm. that I'm going to talk about, but there've been some conversations. There've also been some conversations that are scheduled and, and, and et cetera with, with, you know, he, the kid is Australian and, and, and he loves being Australian. He's a Greek Australian. Um, he wants to fight in Oz and, and that's probably where he'll fight next. So there are conversations taking place. Within, in, in Australia, there is a major pay-per-view company in Australia that does the big events in Australia. Um, there have been conversations there, and they're going to continue. Um, I, I, I spoke to uh, Aram last night, but when he called, I told him he better watch out that my guy Comey doesn't beat Lomachenko. Seriously? But, uh, but there's no question that there'll be conversations there. Yeah. And, uh, it, um, I believe, you know, the, the lines of communication, I spoke to PBC about other something else yesterday, but the lines of communication appear to be reopened over there. And, and, uh, and you know, Davis is a possibility. Look, George is the man right now. And, and ultimately, in none of my contracts do I have opponent, like sole opponent approval. The fighter decides. Mm -hmm. I bring the fighter the opportunities, the fighter decides who they want to fight. So ultimately it's going to be up to George. But if you talk to George and you talk to, to his dad, or you talk to Peter Kahn, they're all going to tell you the same thing, which is no decisions been made. And we're going to look at all options. I, I don't and, blame him for wanting an Australia fight. I mean, I was on a Showtime show yesterday with Brian Campbell and I predicted, I don't know if you saw this clip. It's like the guy deserves a homecoming fight, whether it's a voluntary defense or one of these, uh, the, the Haney or Diaz. Well, or, anything, everything's going to be a voluntary defense because there is no mandatory. Right. Oh, there isn't then. if Because Ryan Garcia is supposed to, supposed to be the, the man. I can't even keep track, honestly, of who, who's the mandatory in this, in this lightweight division. But if he fights well, Ryan, in Australia... When was the last time Ryan fought? Obviously, yeah, said, I know. January. Having said, I'm a huge fan of Ryan, and I'm a fan of Ryan's popularity. Mm -hmm. And and if Ryan gets back in the ring, um, and uh, with his, you know, was if Ryan's right and he gets back in the ring soon, Ryan Garcia and, and George is a huge fight. Huge fight. I mean, uh, if you want to go the big Javante event route, Javante Davis and George is a huge fight. Mm -hmm. uh, if you know. The, the winner of Lomachenko and Comey, you know, and, and, and look, Lomachenko's name, you know, because of the pound for pound stuff or whatever, like I, I personally have a, a weird vibe that like people are sleeping on Comey and the apple cart could be upset again. So, you know, I'm not going to say more than that, but, uh, but I, I just got a vibe a little bit. Well, that's the type of year it's been. Would you be surprised if Jojo Diaz found a way to win? <laughs> I mean, this has been the year of the upset. Well, look, I, I would style wise. 
look, Haney's a, tra- a great talent. Yeah, you know? he is. Like, Haney's a great talent. Style-wise, Haney has advantages in that fight. But Jojo Diaz is a dog, man. Mm-hmm. And Jojo Diaz is, like, Jojo Diaz is, is the kind of guy that's going to, he's going to make Haney, he's going to try to make Haney fight his fight. And he's going to, he's going to make it a dog fight. Right. And I think, you know what, that could be a lot of fun because, because those are the kind of fighters I think that are going to bring out the best in Haney. Mm-hmm. And they're going to also make the most entertaining fights with Haney. Yeah. So I wouldn't sleep on JoJo. But, but Haney's, look, Haney's a great fighter. And, and, um, and I have no doubt that at some point, George and Haney will meet. Well, that's the fight know? for all the best. That's the real undisputed. Right, yeah, but it doesn't, I don't want to hear that bullshit. Stop but it is. Danny, I've known your whole life. Stop the bullshit, bro. <laughs> it's just fucking prize fighting. Don't give a fuck about it. First of all, how did Haney get his belt? I understand, but if you want to go in the history books. Look, dude, Haney's a a terrific fighter. I don't give a fuck about Right now, George is walking around with so many belts, he's basically undisputed. I get it. And and, and Haney, Haney, no one's going to duck Haney. Haney, George George ultimately is going to duck nobody. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Haney's a great fighter. I I, I see that fight happening sometime in the future. But this is prize fighting. And, and, And honestly... You don't. You can't count on tomorrow. You don't know what happens. You don't know when the world gets locked down, and, sure. and, and you know you don't know anything. And by the way, look at this last year in boxing. Strange things happen. You got to go after the biggest money when the biggest money is available to you. You have to make a game plan that makes the most sense for the fighter and his team and his mm-hmm. life. Right? So, uh, how, how does it come into play? I know how this works. Where you have a lot of leverage right now. You have a big piece of what these networks want. How much does it go into play with your stable getting them dates on a platform? I, I, I don't know, man, because the truth of the matter is, I, you know, I, I, Jalal have won a gold medal. I wasn't getting, I haven't gotten a phone call from DeZone. I haven't gotten a phone call from ESPN or show, you know, I, I, I haven't had Showtime. Look, I, I, I approached Showtime. I offered them Jalal. I thought Showbox would be a great fight place to do the first couple of fights after the Olympics. And then, move on to something bigger. I never heard again. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's no open, you're asking a rhetorical question, Danny. You're too smart to ask a dumb question because the reality is, you know that the fucking doors are closed. I can't, I mean, I mean, Jalalov to the zone means hand Jalalov to Eddie Hearn. Not how- well, what I mean is how much is the, of Cambosa's next well, opponent? It, 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 it all ties together. Apparently not that much because otherwise Charles Conwell would already have a deal. That, but now you have the ultimate, and now you have something that they want. They all want Cambosos. Now you can say, hey, I have a right. whole stable, too, of Le- great fighters. Le- leverage is a wonderful thing. It's great. But I haven't gotten a call yet from the zone. You should. Um, I haven't gotten a call yet from, from any, you know. Uh, look, I'm not going to say I haven't got a call yet from any place. That's because I have gotten calls. I've gotten a lot of calls. But how is it going to, you know, look, I'm not. What's what's right for George Cambosis is going to be done for George Cambosis. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to make decisions based upon what I can leverage. Right. Right. It's not going to happen that way. George is going to make his own decision and the people around George are astute. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the one fight you want to see? If you could have full autonomy, it's like, I want George Cambosis to fight this guy Maybe I second half of next Kambosis, year. If George Cambosis wants to fight in Australia next, I want George Cambosis to fight in Australia next. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. Second half. In Australia, there's a, there's a hundred possibilities who we would fight in Australia next. I don't think right? it will be one of the, the bigger names. I think he, he deserves a type of defense or a uh, – not other names. 
I don't disagree with you, but we're not counting anything out. Right. right? So the second half of 2022, and it's one of the big names that we have uh, listed here, the options. Which one? Obviously, if you're going for big events, I mean, Ryan Garcia or, or, or Tank Davis are the you, biggest let, let, let guys. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. I'm not going to – George has, has an interest in fighting, Devin. He said that. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, and we're going to pursue all opportunities and all, all, you know, all avenues for, for 2022. Okay, but I'm going to ask you a question, and I don't want to be the one to say it. I want to ask you. Ryan Garcia gets back in the ring. George gets back in the ring. Ryan Garcia gets back in the ring. We're talking about summer of of 2022, uh, September of 2022. What's bigger, uh, George against Ryan Garcia or George against Devin? Oh, Ryan Garcia. It's it's if you want to go big event, it's let me ask you another question. What's bigger? What's more money? What's a bigger opportunity? George against Travante Davis or George against Devin? It's Travante Davis, yes. Okay, and then Lomachenko beats Comey. And though I don't necessarily believe that's happening, <laughs> but Lomachenko beats Comey, what's bigger? Lomachenko is a big international feel. Okay, that's a big so fight. Stop right there. Stop right there. Wouldn't I be a fucking moron? Not to <laughs> You'd be very smart. What I'm saying, you have a lot of options. Why do you think? What I'm saying is, I'm not going to say which one is my favorite. It doesn't matter. It's mm-hmm. going to be what George and his team wants. Why do you, you know? think George is says Haney? Obviously, he wants that the legitimate. I think George says hey, partially. George says, yeah, I think he'd like to get that other piece of hardware. Mm-hmm. I mean, all fighters, you know, that's something that's in the fighters. A race all doubt, you know. But I will. Yeah, no, fuck all doubt, dude. It's all about George more than anything else wants to be the biggest star he can be and make the most money possible. If he didn't want that, he wouldn't be as smart as he is. Mm-hmm. His father wants that because his father is is not a stupid man. Peter Kahn wants that because Peter Kahn is a good manager. I want that because I know what the fuck I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So ba- basically, you know, I'm not going to pick one name, and I'm not going to, you know. There are multiple opportunities out there, big ones, and we're going to do what makes the most sense. And very, very often, in fact, in prize fighting, most often, what makes the most dollars makes the most sense. Absolutely. Now, Lou, I'm happy for you. I know uh, I'm happy for the stable, happy for the Bella Entertainment. Uh, This is a good spot to be in. But come June, you're going to be up on the stage. Hall of Fame weekend. It's a huge weekend now. They're combining uh, all of these classes. The speech. I've asked you this before. How many F-bombs will be in it? Who are you going to thank? Have you thought about the speech yet? I know we just transitioned away from that. The funny part is when I first, before we got hit with a pandemic, I thought about the speech and and very, actually, I I sort of started to write some notes about it. Mm -hmm. Um, with three classes getting inducted in one year, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I'll, I'll be giving a vastly different speech because I'm guessing that I'm going to have much more like a minute or two than what you would normally have. Um, I don't think that there's going to be an, a 12-hour uh, induction ceremony. So, um, you know, I probably honestly will make a couple of comments and then mostly thank a few people. There you go. Uh, and uh, uh, it's not going to be the speech maybe I would have given if uh, it was a normal one-class kind of situation. But look, it's uh, man, it's humbling to to be in that position. It's uh, I'm grateful for it. You know, it's a little, it's a little piece of immortality. You know, absolutely. And to be in, in Catastota with so many people that were my heroes when I was a kid, mm-hmm. and so many people and fighters 
that were my colleagues and friends and, and people I, I, I did business with or promoted or, or televised on HBO. Um, you know, it's, it's gonna It's going to be a great thrill. Yeah, I'll be there front and center. And I think this past weekend reminded everyone the eye that you have uh, for talent and how you do it with with uh, everything that you have or the politics of boxing do not make it easy for certain. No, it's been a rough. It's been a really rough year, few years for me, the last three to five years without a platform and a big stable. But, man, you know, I do know how to identify talent and I am really good at what I do. And the, the marketplace, and not just for me, dude, I'm 60 years old. I don't want to be Bob Arum or Don King. Like Eddie told me the other day in a phone call that I'm a miserable bastard and I don't like the sport and I don't want to be in it forever and all that other shit. And to some extent, he's sort of right because it has, it's been, I've been in it for 31 years and it's taken a toll. And, the, and I just, I hate the unfair playing field and I hate the, I hate the, the influence and corruption and, and lack of health and safety regulation and, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more and more affected by what I feel is an unacceptable level, level of risk mm-hmm. in the 21st century for fighters. We need to do a better job of protecting our fighters. There's a lot of things that bother me that maybe would have been in that long Hall of Fame speech <laughs> that I'm not going to have time to give now. Right. Um, you know, that, that being said, like sitting around the, as, as unfair as everything has been, to have a George Cambosis now, to have Jalalov win this super... I, I had Jalalov for a couple of years giving him eight pro fights while he was full-time amateur rolling the dice that maybe this kid would win that gold medal. You know, um, this wasn't the case of a pro fighter winning a gold medal. It was a case of a full-time amateur fighter fighting some pro fights because he could. Um, but, but, you know, Jalalov wins the gold medal. This is now, uh, this it's December later in the week, right? No offer ever came for Jalalov from Showtime. No offer came from DAZN. No offer came to, for Jalala from from uh, a PBC, or and and by the way, I mean you know for the most part to get on Fox or get on the PBC networks to some degree, including Showtime, a PBC affiliation really helps. I didn't get offers from anybody. Wow! And 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 uh, um, because it's a closed, it's a closed playing field. It's it's not an open playing. It's not open competition. It's, it's, it's unfair competition. I I think about guys a little bit more like, look, I care about myself. I'm 60 years old, but the truth of the matter is, is I got two baseball teams, which I want to spend more time operating. Uh, I uh, I have a production company. I'm working on some big projects right now that I really like. I, I, I want to be in boxing, but I want to be in boxing with a fair shake. And I think to myself, for a guy like a Dimitri Salida, who's not 60, who hasn't already done enough where if he wants to really walk away now if i want to walk away now i can walk away tomorrow you know i laugh at the people that think they were going to push me out or they're going to get me out i mean i'm too good at, i'm too good at this to have anyone. <laughs> that's I'm what i'm saying though Dude, i'm too good at this to have anyone push me out or throw me out of the industry i'm i'm going to get out probably sooner than some people may think but when i get out it's going to be because i want to I'm reinvigorated now. George, what George did the other night was very reinvigorating. Jalalab's gold medal was reinvigorating. Um, but at the same time, it's still largely a closed universe. Yeah. I'd like to see that change. Not only for myself, I'd like that to see that change for a Dimitri Salida who's around 40 years old. I'd like to see that change for a lot of the other. Look, uh, I thought Raging Babe, Michelle Rosado, was a, a great sort of up-and-coming you know, promoter, regional promoter. Mm-hmm. But in, in a universe that was really an open playing field, that girl would have had an opportunity to be a, 
the major oh, man. motor it, It's play. a tough sport. They, it but, but, it's up close, and... but it, it's, it's a closed playing right. field. So Michelle right. Rosado's now flipping properties and a full-time engineer. So the, the point I'm making is like these sides of the street bullshit has been boxing's, one of boxing's biggest problems in recent years. Yeah. Because the sides of the street don't encourage big fights. They prevent them. Yeah, absolutely. It's a tough sport to cheer you up and, and spit you out. But that's why I think fans uh, were appreciative of uh, everything you've given the sport. And then to see you back on top with the lightweight, unified lightweight champion, it, it's a great thing. Lou, can't wait for the speech. One, one, one last thing, Danny. Go ahead. A lot of people made a lot of kind comments. Yes. Pri privately and publicly over the last few days and meant a lot. Yes, it was great to see. Lou, thank you. Appreciate the time. I'm looking thank forward you. to see what George has uh, planned next. So am I. Let's bring in now Mr. Corey Erdman. You could read his columns on Boxing Scene every Monday. He just wrote a terrific one. He is a colleague of mine at Broadway Boxing. You can catch him calling fights on ESPN+. Plus. You can catch him calling dodgeball. You can catch him on the pickleball courts. He is a good friend of mine. He is the uh, man from Toronto, Canada, and he's here with us fresh off the pickleball court, correct? Uh, yes, that is correct. Uh, in fact, my hair is still wet. <laughs> from pickleball. I, mean, I was working really hard out there today. Can you share with us what exactly is pickleball? <laughs> sure. Sure. So pickleball is, is almost like miniature tennis in a way, but it's played with a paddle and a wiffle ball, which you're very familiar with. I am. So I feel like we have a kinship there as well. Uh, but it's on the size of a badminton court, a badminton court, but with a, a lower net. Uh, so a lot of like old people in Florida like to play it, but I think like the demographics uh, are getting a little bit younger and younger and a lot more competitive. It's, and you, uh, it's a and lot you of fun. found it here. You found something in Toronto to fill that void. Oh yeah, absolutely. I played in New York in the freezing cold last weekend. I'm going to play wow. in Vegas uh, tomorrow. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm like a traveling pickleball player. at this. Point. Most people, when they go to Vegas, they look for casinos. They look for parties. They look for things that we cannot mention on the show. Corey Urban's looking for pickleball courts. That's why, uh, you're the best, my friend. Let's get to it. Uh, this article, this column that you wrote on Tifimo Lopez, uh, making the rounds, and I'm I'm happy to see that your work being being shared like that because it was tremendous, tremendous stuff. And listen, we know how this sport works. If you talk the talk and you don't uh, follow through with it in the ring, you're gonna get ridiculed on Twitter. There's gonna be memes made about you. There's gonna be gifts. There's gonna be jokes. You name it. But I hope that people. You know, after reading your story, can see, you know, behind the curtain a little bit. And this isn't always the case, this extreme with Teofimo Lopez in, in his personal life. But there is a lot of things here in that story about the loneliness, about what goes into being a fighter, the dynamic uh, with family being involved, involved that, uh, you know, a lot of fans don't know about. Yeah. And, and I think like when you put it on paper, right, like when you write it down and you see both what he's going through, but also the things that Teofimo is saying, as you put it, it is, I think, an extreme case because, you know, a lot of people will point out that every fighter has things that they're going through. Every person alive has things that they're going through. And more specific to boxing, every fighter has something that they're battling through in training camp. And usually that's to do with either scheduling or the sparring partners they can or can't find or injuries, uh, you know, like nicks and, and, and things that they're feeling in their body. But what Teofimo was going through mentally, uh, I found to be, I mean, not unique, but, but certainly extreme, as you put it, novel. And uh, I felt that it was 
it was jarring to me watching it unfold in real time. And I felt that it was necessary uh, to kind of put that together and, and to, to let people know what was going on. Not because I was trying to kind of, I, it's not like I was trying to be a PR agent for Teofimo and say, mm -hmm. hey, don't make fun of him. Um, you know, that's not necessarily my role, but I think what I saw was something that I hadn't experienced in terms of a fighter seemingly melting down before my eyes and then also acting like it in the ring and putting those two things together, uh, I thought would co kind of complete the story of this fight and how it unfolded on Saturday. Right. And, and you're right. It isn't your job or our job in the media to say, hey, listen, this guy's going through it. Let's take it easy on him. But if you just read that, and I think a lot of people did see that after the fact, there's still going to be jokes. There's still going to be memes and, and all that. But there is a story behind the scenes. And, and it's a bad night at the office. I do think he will bounce back um, if he makes the, the proper changes. Uh, there's some things uh, going around now on, on Twitter that he, a since deleted tweet that maybe he has pneumonia, could potentially still be in the hospital. A lot of things going on. And and uh, I know he's not going to get a lot of sympathy out there from uh, some corners of the boxing fandom, but there is a lot of things going on behind the scenes for all these fighters. And I thought uh, you did a great job uh, illustrating that. But man, Saturday night was special. Uh, George Cambosos is now the man uh, at lightweight, holds the lion's share of the titles. And let's pivot into this weekend. You'll be in Las Vegas for a fight that could potentially be his uh, future opponent sometime in 2022. It's Devin Haney and it's Jojo Diaz in Las Vegas, a fight uh, with another bumpy timeline. No, Ryan Garcia was in the mix for this. Uh, a lot of dosi doing going on, but I, I like this fight a lot. Uh, <laughs> 2021 has been the year of the upset. I would not be shocked if Jojo Diaz somehow gets his hand raised, but Devin Haney uh, is a supreme boxer as well. This should be an interesting one, Corey. Yeah, stylistically, I find this one really fascinating. I, I think that it'll be interesting to see if Haney is forced to work on the inside a little bit. And I'm not saying that he's not capable of doing that. I think I actually think that he very much is. And from an aesthetic standpoint, I don't know about you, Dan, but one of my favorite things to watch is when slick fighters, and I'm not comparing Haney necessarily to these two fighters, I'm just saying kind of stylistically, when you see slick fighters working on the inside, like those times when we saw Mayweather work on the inside against someone like a Miguel Cotto or James Tony, especially later on in his career, working on the inside, uh, guys who have those types of skill sets when they're forced to, to fight in a phone booth, I find that very aesthetically pleasing. And Haney has a lot of those qualities. Again, I'm not saying Devin Haney is Mayweather or Tony, um, but he implements a lot of the same strategies. And I think that Jojo Diaz has the skill level, but also the intensity to perhaps make him work on the inside a little bit. And I'm interested to see how Haney fares in that because Haney is a guy who has, who prides himself on picking up skills and improving fight to fight. He likes to shuttle in new people for every camp to teach him one specific skill. He brought in Mike McCallum to teach him how to, uh, how to punch to the body. He brought in Ben Davidson to kind of teach him how to slow down and, and you know, uh, slow himself down and be a little bit more strategic against Jorge Linares. And now I'm interested, hey, did he bring someone in? Has he focused on fighting on the inside a little bit? Uh, that adaptability is what fascinates me about Haney. And I think the Diaz could perhaps help show us another side of him, uh, you know, if, if that upset doesn't happen. Diaz is a dog. That's people. That's the common narrative that we're seeing, like uh, in the lead up to this fight. And you're right. That's a very good point on the inside game because in the last fight, 
with Devin Haney. And like you said, he's, he's coming up, he's rising uh, the ranks and he's taking on bigger challenges. Linares was the biggest fight of his career. Uh, last fight. Now Diaz is the biggest fight of his career now, but the, the Diaz, uh, sorry, the Linares fight was interesting because getting into that, uh, Devin Haney got outlanded like his last 60 rounds. He had outlanded his opponent and it came to a, a halt in that 10th round where he was wobbled. And that's what people now remember is the 10th, 11th, 12th round of the Linares fight. Not so much the first 10 rounds where he was uh, dominating. It's those final three where he was staggered uh, and he was hurt heading into this uh, fight uh, with Jojo Diaz. It's going to be interesting to see how he does, how he fights on the inside. I do think that Diaz can take it to him. I'm not exactly sure if Diaz can come out on top. I just think that Haney is too fast. Uh, he's got too much skills, uh, like you said. Yeah, and, and one thing that's fascinating, uh, again, about Haney is the, the clarity that he has about his performances. So as you mentioned, a lot of people will remember him getting hurt, wobbled in that 10th round. And there was a moment after the fight, and I wrote about it uh, for Boxing Scene following that fight. There's a moment after the fight where he's in the locker room, and he goes into Linares' locker room, and he basically asks him, for advice. He asked him, Hey, like, what did you think about that? What did, did my speed surprise you? What, what do you think I did wrong in that fight? Again, he's like taking nuggets, even from his opponents. Yes. He beat Jorge Linares. So a lot of people would just say, I'm better than this guy. I don't have anything to learn from him. Haney saw a learning opportunity. And so, you know, a lot of we, especially coming out of the Teofimo situation, we talk about a lot of fighters kind of being unwilling to admit their reality, both uh, with their circumstances and their skills Haney is very much the opposite. You know, he will go to an opponent that he beat just to find out one little thing that maybe he did wrong. Uh, and that's what I think sets Haney apart. I always describe him as kind of like a, a young veteran. He's been a student of the game since oh, he was man. 17 in, in the pros. Yeah, he made his, uh, he really, he made his yeah. debut at age 17. I mean, yeah. he was one of the youngest guys to ever fight. Uh, I think it was in, in Las Vegas or yeah. on a car, but now he's going to be the youngest to fight at MGM Grand. Uh, those are very trivial nuggets, but it just shows that he's been in this game for a while. That's funny because you talk about him getting, you know, attaining all these new attributes as he heads into a fight. I say the one knock on Haney is that he doesn't really have an identity. Like you don't know exactly what he is. Do you hard puncher, you know, Ryan Garcia fast and, and quick, you know, tank Davis devastating knockout power. But when it comes to Haney, it's like, what exactly is Haney's MO? Is he just like a well-rounded fighter? Uh, that's how I would describe him. Like, yeah. like I think, uh, I think his default would be to kind of like a, uh, you know, in the style of Floyd Mayweather, kind of like a, a counter puncher first, uh, but looking to pick his shots, kind of like a, a pot shot and counter puncher. I think that's what he would default to, mm -hmm. but he's able to kind of take on a lot of different identities. So you're right. Like, and, and in, in Haney's case, I don't think it's necessarily an issue that he doesn't have one clear identity. I think that's actually what makes him difficult to prepare for, you know, in, in a moment, I'm sure we're going to talk about Javante Davis and, and Isaac Cruz with Isaac Cruz, you know exactly what he is, right? He's a volume puncher. He's a pressure fighter. He wears a muzzle mask. It's his whole identity that he's coming at you. Uh, with Haney, you don't necessarily have any clarity as to what he's going to do on that on that night. And that's what that's what I think will give him longevity in this sport as well. Yeah, I like that he's taking on bigger tests. I, I mean, the Linares fight, he learned something. He's definitely going to learn something against JoJo. And if he wants to fight uh, for all the belts next year uh, against George Cambosos, he's setting himself up nicely. I, and I, I love that aspect of it. Let's go over to the Sunday night portion of this week. And we're getting a, a rare Sunday night pay-per-view, and it's a good one. Uh, top to bottom, it's a fun card. Uh, Javonta Davis, another guy that I think will settle in at 135, and that's where I think he'll be moving forward. He's fighting Isaac Cruz, like you just said. Isaac Cruz, a guy 
who throw 88% of his landed punches are power shots. He does not go in there to jab. He goes in there to throw power. Obviously, Davis, we know, has a lot of power. Also a lightning rod, Javante Davis. <laughs> no matter where you stand on the guy, if you say that this guy's got the goods, there's going to be uh, people coming at you and saying, is he really looking at his resume? If you talk about his resume, you have people saying, yeah, you know, he's putting, you know, asses in seats. Where do you stand on, on Tank Davis, one of the biggest lightning rods in boxing? Yeah, I, I think you, whatever you think about his resume, I think it's impossible to watch Gervonta Davis and not think that you're watching something a little bit special. You know, I, I think I've described it in the past as Davis is one of those guys in boxing, one of the few in boxing that doesn't have to negotiate between speed, timing and power. He, he could throw and have all of those things all at once. Now, you can have criticism about who he's been fighting, but I don't think that he's been fighting stiffs by any means. And also, to your point, he is absolutely a ticket seller. I think that the way that they've marketed Tank Davis uh, has been terrific. And even in this instance, a Sunday night pay-per-view doing something a little bit different, they're treating Tank like he is something special. And uh, I, I really do think that he is. I agree. Uh, he, he is special. He's just undoubtedly, he, he has the goods and he has the it factor. I mean, it's very, there's a lot of what, a couple ticket sellers in, in boxing that can do the types of things that he's doing. Anthony Joshua, uh, go up and down the list of, it's not a really long list. And, and you got uh, Tank Davis on there as well. Looking forward uh, to this one Saturday night, Sunday night. I got see in my mind. I'm thinking just Saturdays for these players. Yeah. It's Sunday night papers. Like but a this is good, game. by the way. This no, is, is good. Like I, I think that the, the idea that boxing has to be exclusively on Saturday nights just only leads to problems, right? There's everything's on Saturday nights, and not just what's on TV, but other fights are on Saturday nights and other things that you want to do, right? Yeah. Like especially for the casual fan, like maybe you want to go see your friends on Saturday and you don't want to watch a, kind of a, a marginal boxing pay per view we should be moving these fights around. So it's great that a major fight is not just on a Saturday night competing with everything else in the world. No, it should, because just take a look at this past weekend, and Fulton Figueroa was a fight that deserved uh, a lot more attention than it got. And yes, it did happen. I think it went off after Tiafimo uh, and Cambosos was off the air, but still, a lot of people were, were talking about or, or were still fixated on what we just saw at MSG, and it was a hard transition into what was arguably a top three or four fight of the year with, with Figueroa and Fulton so yeah you're right if that fight was say the Showtime fight was on Friday would have got a lot more attention but that's a story uh for uh, an another day do you think Tank he settles into 135 it's going to be uh kind of tough for him to get Cambosos unless you know they can pull off a, a really big deal on the uh, business side of things but Tank at 135 I think that's the weight for him I, I like to think that it's the weight for him too I think that that's where he's probably at the peak of his powers where he's not completely drained but he also still has physical advantages over the guys at 135 and also let's face it like storyline wise in terms of opportunities big money opportunities all those other youngsters that have been talking to one another over the last two years those are the fights that we want to see and I think that in his heart those are probably the guys that ideally if they can make it happen that he would want to fight as well so selfishly I hope that he sticks around at 135 but I also understand that Tank can make people come to him you know, there are a lot of guys on the other side of the road, but Tank, as a ticket seller, uh, as a guy over on that PVC Showtime side, can draw people over to him. And we've also seen him be very capable at 140, beating up a, a bigger guy. So, <laughs> yeah, selfishly, I want to see him against the other guys at 135, but he also has a, a degree of power in this scenario as well. 
Yeah, I think he's his days at one thirty are are over. He, he has a kind of erased that narrative where he has these weight issues. He's more focused than ever. But I think one thirty is behind him. I think one forty is dangerous. And if we've seen from the PBC and Mayweather promotions, is they're being very careful with this guy. I mean, they're being very selective, rightfully so. They have a guy that that can just make money for the entire. Uh, uh, promotion here. That's what the name of the game is. I know we want to see the best fight the best, but you also have to turn a profit uh, in this business. And Mayweather Promotions is doing that w- with Davis. But I think, you know, 135 could be that spot. And now with Tiafimo knocked off, I know he'll be back and he's going up to 140. Questions a little bit on Devin Haney, Ryan Garcia. Uh, we don't know when he's going to get back into the ring. You can make a case, or a lot of people have been making this case that Javante Davis is the best fighter at 135. Yeah, and, and at this point, now that, that Teofimo has been knocked off, at least t- temporarily, yeah, I, I think that you absolutely can make that case. If we're just saying, who do we actually think is the best? That said, you know, we want to give George Cambosis all the credit in the world. He's got all the belts. He is the lineal champion right now, and he deserves to be acknowledged as, as the guy that people should be chasing mm-hmm. right now for, in terms of acclaim and not necessarily for money. I'm interested to see how that shakes out with Cambosis. I said, other than Canelo Alvarez, this is an absurdly wild line to repeat. George Cambosis is probably in the best position in all of boxing network, uh, free agent, lion's share of the belts, uh, a guy that is looked at as quote unquote beatable. Uh, maybe he is not, but they, there's guys licking their chops. You got Shakur Stevenson saying, Hey, I would like a PC. You got Ryan Garcia saying, I'll, my comeback fight is going to be against Cambosos as if that is so easy to happen. But with, with Tank Davis and the PBC, I mean, they could, this is a fight. If they want to make that happen, they could do it. They can throw a ton of money at uh, team Cambosos. They could make it a massive pay-per-view in Las Vegas. And then, you know, I would say tank would be the favorite in that fight. And then all of a sudden take Davis at 135 has got, you know, all the belts. Yeah. I, I think that would be a great strategy. Like if, if I were in Davis's camp, I would be trying to make that happen because again, the stakes, like you can go around about way and try and collect all those belts, but here's a guy that's sitting with all of them uh, who isn't necessarily tied down to one network. Again, he's with Lou Bella. They can maybe, make that happen. One thing I want to say about Cambosis as well is, you know, a lot of people are, are saying, oh, you know, Cambosis is, is maybe a lot better than, than what we thought he was. And other people are saying, oh, you know, maybe this is entirely due to how Teofimo fought in that fight. One thing I want to say is all throughout, all leading up to this fight, Cambosis talked about the fact that he was improving day by day. Oftentimes when you talk to fighters in the build up to a fight, they kind of have this idea of what their peak is and their training camp for them is about preparing to perform at that peak. Mm-hmm. But Cambosis was basically saying, no, I'm improving as a fighter. The fighter that you saw last time out, I'm better than him each and every day. And I think we often forget that it is possible for fighters to actually improve in training camp. We often think about training camp as this kind of formality where you're just trying again to get in shape so that you're at your peak and that you're not actually sharpening your skills or significantly improving as a fighter. And I think that is what we saw with George Campos as he did with that extended training camp that could be a burden for a lot of fighters. He used it to improve as a fighter and he was a whole lot better than we thought because he improved. He used it for the right, in the right way. Right. And as we just heard from Lou earlier in the show, didn't have his, his head coach with him. only had pretty much one or two sparring partners, but I made that point too. It's like the guy got up off the deck in the 10th round. And with all these cancelizations, all these interruptions in camp, there is a the case to be overtrained and you don't want as a fighter, you don't want to be overtrained. You want to be just on point. And he was because the only way you can get up from that onslaught and, and have that type of chin 
obviously there's some part of it that's just supernatural, but also it's just being in the best shape. Uh, and Cambosis was uh, this past Saturday. What a time in boxing. This November was amazing. December's got good fights. The lightweight division. I mean, you're getting three of the best lightweights uh, fighting in an eight-day span. You can't ask for anything better than that. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to see uh, something square off in 2022. Uh, as well. That is a wrap for this edition of Inside Boxing Live. Thank you, Mr. Corey Erdman, for joining us. Go find yourself a pickleball court uh, in, in Las Vegas, and we'll see you next week. We break this all down. We look forward to Lomachenko and Comey. We'll see you next week.